Father, we just acknowledge you here for a second. We just, I just want everybody just to um, just tell the Lord, say, Father, forgive me of any area in my life that I did not please you. Any area of my life where I've grieved your spirit. And I thank you for your love. And I thank you for the spirit of repentance that you're going to give me. And that you're going to lead me and guide me in truth. That you're going to change my life. And you're going to move me away from the things that you died to save me from. So I give you my life, I give you my heart, I give you my mind. Speak to me and change me. Let you, the entrance of your word bring light. Holy Spirit, forgive me for offending you. I welcome you into my mind and my heart, my family, my life, my finances. And teach me how to walk with you. That I would not disturb you in your temple, which is me. Father, we thank you. We, we thank you for your love, your grace, your power. I need you more than I ever have. In my weakness, you were made strong. I acknowledge you, Father, and I thank you for calling us by the blood of the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Such a great salvation by grace through faith the works of Christ in our heart be established. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you guys. Well, let's try to maintain the same atmosphere. If you have kids and you want to send them back to um, the fun church, then you can go over there, and if you're a kid at heart and want to save your toes this morning, you can go back there. And... <laughs> it's good to see everybody. We have a lot of people out this morning. Be praying for them. There's a lot of people who are sick. There's a lot going around. There's a um, pretty bad flu going around. Anybody had, had it or had friends that have had it or been knocked down by it a couple times? So uh, yeah, pray for them. Pray for those who aren't here. Uh, we've got quite a few that are that are not here for that. And then and then, of course, we've got uh, Jared and Hannah suffering the greatest thing of all time. So they're in Hawaii, and uh, y'all pray for them. Not that they need it, but hopefully they're interceding for us. <laughs> they are certainly not imparting the weather anointing to us. So uh, I want to remind you again of the diaper drive we're having on the 10th of December. If you have it in your heart at all to bless um, people who, who are maybe less unfortunate or less fortunate to be able to provide for themselves and their bills and things of that, especially coming up in the Christmas season. Everybody knows how big of a, a stress that is. Um, shouldn't be, but what we've made it to be has turned that, that way. So um, we're trying to alleviate that a little bit, and we want to give away um, diapers to especially single mothers, but, I mean, any mother that ha has a need. We're going to set up out here for a couple hours, and so as you think about it, if you're shopping throughout the week and you want to pick up a box or two or one or whatever, then you can bring them in Sunday and put them back there, and we'll keep stockpiling them until the big day, and hopefully we can maybe offset some of the financial burdens for Christmas and maybe free up some income for kids to be able to have some toys and um, you know, try to bless people however we can. So we want to invite you to help us with that. If you can't do that, we, totally uh, we understand it's totally fine. Just pray for us and pray for that event. If you're financially unable to, uh, to uh, give or, or contribute, that's, that's, that's totally fine. There's no condemnation there, but we just want to make that uh, available. And again, tomorrow night is tentative. So if you guys see the weather start getting real bad and stuff, then we probably won't have home group here, okay? So uh, if you don't have access to the Facebook page for this church, then you can grab my number. It's on one of those cards on the table back there. My cell phone's on there. If you don't know me, I'm just fine. Grab my number and say, hey, is home group come, you know, tonight? And I'll be like, who is this? And then you can introduce yourself, and then uh, I can keep you posted on what's going on. Amen? All right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. How many of you guys have been learning 
something. Um, today, I'm not making any promises about getting through today um, because the topic we're on this morning is going to be something that I could preach for 12 weeks on. Um, and I'm having to really condense this topic. Um, so there will be Ephesians 4, part 7, part 2. That will happen. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. We are going verse by verse through Ephesians, and uh, each week it seems like we have people jumping midstream into the river uh, that's been flowing for a few months now as far as what we're doing in, in context with sermons. And we feel like um, Paul's wisdom to be a wise master builder gave him not only the insight but the ability to be able to touch all aspects of life, and I think my opinion is that the book of Ephesians is one of the most masterfully written books in all of his epistles. And I've stated this before, that uh, you could take almost every New Testament um, book out, and if we were only left with the book of Ephesians, we would have enough, not only to do what we need to do, know who God is, know who we are, know the intentions, purposes, and will of God, but how to interact with each other and to interact, interact with the powers of darkness. Within that book is so much. I mean, you guys realizing that as we go forward, um, much of the content, as we've seen, has a lot to do with how we treat one another. It's amazing. You guys notice that? Uh, and we talk about how the church is drunk on spiritual warfare because she's desperate to exercise a power she doesn't operate in. She knows she's supposed to have it, so the knowledge gives her that gumption that drive to be what she knows she needs to be yet when she tries to do it she seems to fail miserably and she wonders why because she hasn't connected the reality that how you live is in direct proportion to how you war and if you live poorly you're going to war poorly and that's why we have so many families and homes in this nation that are destroyed and messed up it's 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 a shame i mean Praise God there's forgiveness. Praise God that there's understanding and learning and the grace of the blood of Jesus. But it's a statistical shame on the church that the divorce rate in the church is slightly higher than the divorce rate among atheists. And I think possibly we exercise that grace a little too much in thinking that if this doesn't work out, I'll just use the grace and go find somebody else. That's not the will of God. I'm sorry. It's really hard for me growing up in this society and facing the church culture today where I've actually had pastors stare me in the eye and say, God told me to leave my wife. <laughs> you're, you're in trouble, sir. You're not hearing the Lord. In fact, it's dangerous because now you've replaced the voice of God with the voice of a demon and you can't tell them apart. So Paul touches these things. He touches marriage. He touches relationships. He touches children. He touches fathers and mothers. He touches how we should act and respond to one another. He touches all these things. Why? He touches them because how we live is in direct proportion to the glory God receives in this earth. So many of the generations of Christianity are going to be judged as people who've robbed God of his glory by the elevation of the individual freedoms they say they possess while undermining the glory he deserves. I think that was better than when it went, but we'll just go on. We're in verse 30. How many of you guys wonder why I stopped three verses from the end last week? <laughs> we almost made it through chapter four, and we had like three verses left, and I stopped. Why are we doing that? Because the next verse that we're going to touch on that Paul talks about is an absolute massive concept, one that he did not have pen and paper to be able to deal with uh, and give actual val validity to. You got to understand these guys didn't have email and all this type of stuff, so when they penned a letter, supplies were limited. They couldn't go down to Staples and buy a ream of paper. So imagine being 
constricted, yet your heart's overflowing and you're writing to a people that you love. This is what happened. What would you put in that letter and how would you state it? So Paul spends more time talking about our relationship with one another than he does the verse that I'm about to get into. Why? Because how we treat one another is how we treat God himself. See, everybody wants to isolate their personal relationship with Jesus. That's mine. You can't touch it. However, if you hate your brother who you do see, how can you love God who you can't? Jesus makes it very, very, very clear many, many, many times in Scripture that the horizontal is an indication of your vertical relationship with God. So you can boast in the identity of that, that vertical relationship, yet if you're boasting in something that's absolutely that decrepit and weak because you can't love the person sitting next to you, I don't know why you're boasting about it in the first place. Did that make sense? Okay. Was that a toe stomper or is that just me? All right. One verse here in chapter 4, Paul touches on and he says, Do not, and we take this as an option, because I don't think we even know what this means. How many of you know, well, don't raise your hand, but how many of you actually know how, how not to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because see, we think that, that you know, Living in sin would grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, it does. But you understand that sin has been compartmentalized in the church to only be drugging and thugging and pornography and these things. But the Bible's very clear about certain things that we are not supposed to do that the church has frankly dived way into. Does this make sense to you? So the Holy Spirit is the essence, the life force of God. The Holy Spirit is what, and they're three, but they're one. But the Holy Spirit is the part of God that gives him the ability to live for forever. It's his life force. It's the power in which he derives everything that comes out of him from. This is, it's the most precious place in the heart of God. Because it is his spirit. It is His Spirit. And when He gave us the Holy Spirit, He was giving to us the deepest, most intimate part of Himself. Many, many, many times in Scripture, in fact, in the Hebraic understandings, the Holy Spirit is equated in feminine nature. This is why God, when He first made Adam, He both made Adam fully like Himself, both male and female. And then he separated those two later on. Why? Because the feminine aspect of God is still existent in God himself. And that feminine aspect of God is the Holy Spirit. It's it's almost like we're the bride, but it's almost like if we could could relay it this way, is that that's that part of himself that's the most tender, the most precious, the most weak, the most need-to-be-protected part of himself that he gave us. It's almost like this. You can slap me in the face, punch me, kill me, shoot me, stab me. That's fine. Touch my wife. You may be bigger. You may be stronger. You may be faster. But I'm, I'm going to leave you with a memory of me. You're going to remember who I am for the rest of your life. As you're killing me, I will hold your eyeball in my hand. I will gouge it out and I will take it with me. You understand what I'm saying? You protect your wife. This is why Jesus says every sin can be forgiven except the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That will never be forgiven. And in context, what that means is this. It's this. What Jesus would see in that context, that scripture where he's talking about the disciples were healing, Jesus was healing, and the the Pharisees come to him and said, you're able to heal and, and, and cast out demons by the power of the devil himself. So what they were doing is they were saying, the Holy Spirit power you're operating in is demonic. It doesn't come from God, it comes from the demon. And that's the context in which Jesus says, do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So I get very nervous when I deal with certain denominational religions that say the speaking in tongues of the devil. Whether you believe it or not, here's the thing. If you're wrong, 
you have just committed the unforgivable sin. Because you're saying that what is of God is from the devil. It's not holy. It's not from God. It's demonic. We need to stay away from that. There are certain things that happen in this earth that I don't know if I agree with in church, in Christianity. There are certain things that happen in pulpits and services and all these types of things. And I don't know. But one thing I'm not going to do is say it isn't before I know it really is. Because it's not my job to sit there and tear down everybody else's ministry. It's my job to take care of what he's given me. Because that's what I'm going to be judged by. So, you know, we need to stop all this other stuff. Like, those people out there, what about yourself? What about your family? What about your home? It's amazing to me, in 25 years of pastoring, everybody's willing to go and judge every other ministry out there and have all these online things about how everybody else is wrong, yet their family is a wreck. Well, if you can't get your family in order, I don't want you to hear your opinion about how the church needs to be in order. It got real quiet. Because you can't argue with fruit. See, everybody wants to the- theologically apply all their truths to everybody but themselves. And the fruit that comes out of your home is the essence of the gospel that you actually believe in and possess. Yeah, this is why the Bible says, man, if you don't treat your wives right, God will not hear your prayer. You can go to church and be like, hey, I'm praying, good for you, but nobody's listening. See, all your spiritual, individual relationship with Jesus means nothing then if you're treating your wife horribly. Why? Because how we treat each other is how we treat God himself. Paul has taken so much time in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4. You ever wonder why 1 through 5 come before 6? Because if you don't do 1 through 5, when you go out to, to start screaming and stomping and, and binding the devil, you're going to get your rear end handed to you. See, we think that, the, oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. Yeah, but why didn't the seven sons of Sceva figure that out? So they went out and used his name, and they got their rear ends handed to him. So Paul's saying, look, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Where does he live? Where does the Holy Spirit live? There's two places that the Holy Spirit resides. And before Jesus, there was only one we could have access to. In the Old Testament, the Spirit never dwelt in people, only upon them. And when he would lift, the power would cease. Saul prophesied with the prophets accurately when the Spirit came on him. Yet we know from Scripture that Saul had the heart of a murderer. So the, a man with the heart of a murderer who has the Spirit of God on him can prophesy with the prophets accurately and fool everyone. This is how the end time deception will happen is that the Antichrist is going to operate in forms of power on the outside realm that looks similar to what the Holy Spirit does, yet there's no spirit inside of him. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. You understand what I'm saying? So the spirit of truth is the part of God that not only speaks what is true, but by nature is truth. So somebody who's prophesying accurately, they're saying true things, but they're not prophesying by the spirit of truth. And there's so much preaching today, even our own, out of our own mouths, that is true, but it doesn't come from the spirit of truth. Why? Because many of us have constant lifestyles where we do this every day of our life. Do you realize how much intentional living it takes to be able to not do this? How much conscious reality that you have to possess and hold on to? How much mind renewal you have to work into yourself to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, pricks your heart over something, he's doing so because you've grieved him. Does that make sense? If we grieve the Spirit of God, 
We're grieving the spirit by which we make war. And then we wonder why things don't work. If anybody in any age, in any generation now needs the Holy Spirit active and operating both in and upon them, it's us. Because this fragile shell of Americanism is not too much far away from falling apart. Does this make sense to you? And when it does, man, people are going to freak out. For years, I've, I've watched like this, this, this whirlpool drain, like God pulled the drain out of the American system, and it's just going down the drain, going down the drain. And instead of, instead of seeking God and preparing ourselves for the tub being empty, the church is trying to grasp every last little drop of American water it possibly can before it goes down the tube. Because we're more concerned about our finances and our money and our status than we are with not grieving the Holy Spirit of God. If you treat a brother or sister wrongly, guess what you've done? And then we wonder why our peace goes away. What's the fruit of the Spirit? We wonder why our joy is gone. See, the Holy Spirit is the part of God that you use to access everything in your life that you crave. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. If we grieve him, then those things aren't actively upon our life. See, the good thing is, is though that because we're saved, the Spirit of God resides where? In us, but there's a lot of people who God resides in, but he doesn't reside upon. Does, does that make sense to you? See, by the nature of the blood of Christ and the DNA that he put inside of you, he sent his Holy Spirit upon you. This is why in the end of, of, of the Gospels, Jesus gets up from the grave, right? He's got the salvific authority of, of God and man bound into one being. And he breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them. The word came out of his mouth and went into their nostrils. And they, and all of a sudden, the life that never lived inside a human came inside of them. And they became new. But then later, if that was all it took, then why was Acts chapter 2 put in the Bible? Why does spirit have to come and rest on them? Because we are meant to be like Jesus. And Jesus had the spirit within and upon constantly. And we're satisfied if we just have the spirit within and we grieve him on the exterior. Well, I'm going to heaven still because there's grace. Yeah, but you really made the heart of God sad. God is sad when he looks at you. He's not disappointed. He's just sad. You understand there's a difference. It's like watching your kid walk away from God or walk away from your family. You don't, you're not disappointed. You don't hate them, but you're, you're, you're broken in your heart. See, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This spirit is what sealed you. It's, that word means to put a mark on. For the final day of redemption. The Holy Spirit put his mark on you. Her mark on you. However you want to say it. And marked you for one specific day. That every other day until that day we live underneath the power and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And if we choose to live other than that. Then a whirlwind of chaos comes into our life. Because you will be blown by something, either every wind and wave of doctrine or the breath of the Spirit of the Almighty. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Okay. That was my introduction. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, same author, different book. Quench 
not the spirit. He uses a different word there. It means literally to extinguish, to put out as if it were a fire, to completely put it out. He says, do not quench the spirit. Why does he use the word quench here and grieve here? Because there's two different realities of the spirit of God. This one here makes the heart of God sad. The second one in Thessalonians has everything to do with your power and your ability. Quenching the spirit hurts the heart of God. Or, I'm sorry, grieving the spirit hurts the heart of God. Quenching the spirit removes your ability to have access to his fire and power in your life. Why does it say quench in 1 Thessalonians? Well, it's simple because Acts 2, 2. And suddenly there came a wind from the sound of heaven as a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared on them cloven tongues of fire and it sat upon each of them. Is that not the Holy Spirit? Cloven tongues of fire? Why was it a tongue? Because the tongue speaks the word. It's the spirit of truth speaking now through us. Not just tongues, though that was the case. It's speaking the word of God from the spirit of God, which is exactly what Jesus did. He never spoke truth outside of the spirit of truth. Jesus' words weren't just true. They were spirit and they were life. And God gave us that ability to carry that tongue of fire in our life. But many times we use it to burn one another or we'll quench it and put it out. All the while feeling self-justified because we're still saved. Yeah, you still have the spirit inside you. Good for you. You've just removed all your ability to live with the spirit upon you in your life. It's the spirit upon that brings people to Jesus. Guys, they don't care about the life that's inside of you. The world doesn't need the spirit inside of you. The world needs the spirit on you. And if we live in such a way where we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit of God, they have no hope. So congratulations, we've used our liberty and our freedom for ourselves and we've sacrificed those that are on the heart of God for the sake of justifying why we're grieving and quenching him. Because our, our Christianity has become selfish and idolatrous and it's about us and our Christianity is about polishing our morality and feeling comfortable in our own skin and doing what we wanna do and finding verses to support that living our best life. <laughs> no, my best life is gonna come when this one's done. There's nothing about this life I have now that's been best at anything. <laughs> it's been hard and horrible, but rewarding. Does this make sense? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know you can only speak truth by the Spirit when he gives you utterance. <laughs> There's been so many times in counseling sessions where I've had the right thing to say and I was like, man, I know what to say on this one. I've, I've, I've heard the Holy Spirit say, shut up. And I'm like, but it's so good. And it's like, no, it's not me. It's true, but it's not me. Because you can give something to somebody before they're ready. And guess what? If you do that, all they're going to do is trample on it and turn again on you and blame you for giving it to them. Ask me how I know that. I'm the bad guy because I gave them something of truth in their life that they didn't want. Now I'm the bad guy because of it. It's amazing how many Christian narcissists there are. That because of the sin they're in, somehow it's your fault as a pastor. I, I still don't understand that. But it happens all the time. I have so many enemies. I was just talking to somebody the other day about one that I told him, you know, you need to keep your marriage together. Well, his marriage was terrible. 
And then all the pain of all that terrible marriage caused him this horrific reality, and he blamed me for telling him to stay in it. Now it's my fault. Well, guess what? Now they're back together. Was that my fault too? You understand what I'm saying? We need the mind of Christ to be able to know the mind of the Spirit. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit searches all things, including the depths of God himself. If we grieve him, we have no access to the depths of God that our souls crave. Now, of course, there's, there's forgiveness, there's repentance. But you understand repentance is a gift. Anybody who's ever walked through any kind of difficulty in their life with God understands that repentance is a gift. There's times in your life where you try to repent and nothing happens. You know why that happens? Because God's not gracing you with that for your life. Because maybe you haven't asked for it. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you really don't want it. I don't know. But there's been times in my life where I knew I needed to change. And I'm trying to change. And I'm like, God, please change me. And there's no access of presence. Zero. Maybe it's just because he's telling me you're not going to manipulate me. This is my rules, my game, my kingdom. I brought you into the house, son, and this is my house. And then when he does give me that grace to repent, he's all over me and I'm bawling like a baby. I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll actually cherish it this time. And realize I can't just go into sin and come back whenever I want. If you've never had that happen, you go live in sin for a long period of time and then try to change yourself it don't work until God moves on your heart again. That's why sin is so dangerous because it cuts you off from the life of God. And you begin to slowly wither. Does this make sense to you? That word tongue means breath or sword. It's like a warfare it's the word, it's the, it's the voice of God. Cloven tongues of fire sat upon them. We need the Holy Spirit on our life. I'm not gonna name his name because some of y'all might not like him. But I heard one pastor say, if, 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 you, if, you're, if the Holy Spirit's like a dove, which he is in the Bible, and doves are very flighty animals, very flighty birds, and you have one resting on your shoulder, how are you going to walk? He said, you're going to take every step with the dove in mind and not yourself. And I don't think we walk that way. I think that's why the church has no power. She's got all the right theology, but she's embraced a justification that's killing her. Yet she says it's her freedom. So Galatians 5.16, I'm just going to read this hopefully quickly. It says, but I say unto you, walk by the Spirit. Same author, different book. Paul's mind. You understand what he's saying? So when we read this in Ephesians, we understand that Paul's addresses other places is the same heart and flow of his writing. Walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Do you realize something as small as covetousness, which is wanting what your neighbor has, is a work of the flesh? Do you know why it's a work of the flesh? Because it puts you at the center of the thought and not your neighbor. That's why covetousness is, is a sin. Because the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's the second commandment. It's the second most important commandment. Right? So covetousness puts you at the center, which is a mind, a fleshly thought. And now when you get into covetousness, you might not think that's a bad deal. Because in Americanism, that's not covetousness. That's ingenuity. That's, that's creativity. That's desire. That's... That's, you know, striving and, and moving forward to the dream. <laughs> no, it's sin. 
Because if you're truly thinking about your neighbor, you'd, you'd, you'd praise God and say, thank you for blessing my brother like you have, my Lord. That's such a powerful thing you've done in his life. See, the goal isn't to get a better boat, to survive the storm. That's what American life is. It's like, well, some of us have a kayak, some of us have a yacht, some of us have a cruise ship. I think I'm just still trying to swim. But we're all in the same storm, right? But we think life is about getting a better boat to be able to handle the storm better. No, no, no. No. If you get a better boat, your job is to bring somebody else into it. The desires of flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to one another, and you keep doing the things that you, that you want to do, or to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Holy Spirit is there to give you the ability to not do what your flesh wants to do. That's, he's there for that. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. But the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. What does Jesus say? If you look at a woman with lust... It goes the other way, ladies. Impurity. Sensuality. Do you realize that's a work of the flesh? You should look, you should, I can't, see, this is why I can't take time to do all this. You need to go study your Bible and look at what these words actually mean and how they should be interpreted in, in modern American words. Idolatry. See, we don't worship idols anymore. We just worship ourselves. Or our pastor, and then when he hurts our feelings, he's a devil. It's like, wait, 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 wait. It's not his fault you put him there. That's your fault. I didn't, I didn't ask to be put there. I had one lady come to this church for a long time, and the first thing I told her, because I saw it in the spirit, I said, don't ever idolize me. I said it straight to her face, and I said it with, with authority. I said, don't. Don't ever do it. Five years later, she walked out of those doors right there and said, I put you on a pedestal. And I, said, and I looked at her and I said, how is that my fault? Idolatry. You know what that is for women? They're kids. Listen. I have not yet a, met a woman yet that doesn't idolize her children. They're not your kids. You're just momentarily entrusted with them to raise them the way you should. And if you don't, you will be judged because they're his. Every person will stand before God as an individual. And how you raise your children will determine whether they have easy access to the Father or a very difficult one because of idolatry. Paul says it's a work of the flesh. It's opposed to the Spirit. Idolatry in your children, your marriage, your money, yourself will grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. So many churches out there, oh, it's the power of the Spirit, brother. Yeah, why don't we see it? Because there's also a responsibility to that kind of a power. Sorcery, enmity, which there's several right here that almost, almost, almost are together. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, division. You know what we call division? Individuality. Well, I just disagree with that. Okay, now what? You go start your own church and do it right. You know how many churches I know that start because someone left because they were going to do it the right way? Ain't nobody going to do it right. Not me, not you, not the guy down the road. Nobody's going to do it right. 
It's arrogance to create that kind of division in Christ's body, thinking you can do better. You know, I always wonder, it's like, man, I don't, I've never wanted this position. Why am I here? Like, I don't, hey, God, everybody wants the freaking microphone. It's like, why, why, why do you, why do you want power so bad? People mostly don't listen anyway. And if you need it to offset some sort of self-fragmentation that you have that you don't feel good about yourself, and if you think standing in front of somebody's going to do that for you, then you've just made an idol out of them. And as long as they're patting you on the back, you're happy and you're self-fulfilled. But guess what? You're never going to be filled by the Spirit because you've created a cheap substitute. All this does, like I've said a hundred times, it just gives you double judgment. That's all it does. Everybody wants position until they realize the accountability that goes with it. I want to be on the stage. Why? Why? Well, because I have a heart of worship. Well, how much do you worship in your private time? I love what Art Katz says. He's like, how much of a a worshiper are you before you ever pick up your instrument? See, worship is 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 a posture of our hearts. Jealousy, division, rivalry, dissension, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all these things I'm telling you and I warn you as I've warned you before that those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom. Did you hear that? Is Paul talking to heathens? He's talking to believers. But I'm saved. He says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. And you say, well, brother, we're still going make to make heaven because heaven and the kingdom are two different things. Why would you even want to miss out on any part of it? That thought in your head that dissects that out is from Satan himself anyway. My Lord, why would you even think that way? Well, I'll still make heaven, but not make, I won't make the kingdom. Why would you want to miss it? What a cheap. I've had people tell me that before. I'm like, that's, that's a cop out. Like there's a part of God, there's a part of heaven, there's a part of there that you'll never be involved in forever. Because of here, because of the division you created that you thought you were justified in. Paul says, fight hard to keep the unity of the bond of peace with one another. You probably, if you, if, you, if you don't know, you need to go back and listen to the series on Ephesians. They're all online. If you want to listen to them, there's, you can pick any podcast platform and uh, search Proclaiming Jesus, and they're on there. Verse 24 in Galatians 5, all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of Christ, of, of him that raised Christ up, which is Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he raised Christ up from the dead, he will also make alive your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. So the power of ascension is not through faith, it's through the spirit. Now, I know we access the Spirit through faith, but what I'm saying is it's, it's, it, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the right to be able to say, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And if we grieve that power, we grieve our own ascension. It's, the, it, it's a fascinating thought. I remember when it hit me for the first time. Just let, it, just let it sing. I've said it many times, but maybe you didn't hear me. And if you did, I hope you cared. <laughs> but you were born again the same way Jesus was born. You were overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. That song we sang, greater is he living in me. Same power. So we were born that way. The Bible says to walk that way, live that way by the Spirit. And eventually we're going to die the same way Jesus did by being ascended. Lift it up. Every aspect of the Christian life will be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit because you guess what, guys? You can love Jesus all you want, and I love him too, but he's not here. 
the part of God that you have accessed in your individual journey is not Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who put your eyes on Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that came inside of you and made you conscious of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you that made you realize you have a Father. And it's no longer the prince of the power of the air. John chapter 8, Jesus tells those Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And your father's works you will do. This is why the flesh is so damning to the spirit. Because the works of the flesh are the works of the former father you had. The one that abandoned you, that rejected you, that tried to kill you and steal you and destroy for your life. And the Holy Spirit came in and gave you a different DNA, a different father, adopted you into a different family. And we are supposed to live every day of our life with him in focus. Not ourselves, not our neighbor, not the world, not the political system, not this, not that. We're supposed to live under the power of the Spirit. They that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It is in trademark of the Son to be led by the Spirit, not to grieve Him. And then people grieve the Holy Spirit and then they wonder why they get attacked over and over and over and over in their life. Can I touch something difficult? Are you sure? <laughs> I ask just be, to be polite. Years have taught me that when I sit there and counsel people who listen to secular music all week long, have no power in their life. And they wonder why they struggle. Do you realize, and I think even if you, if you do know this and still listen to it, woof, woe to be those to, the, to those that know how to, what to do is good and don't do it. <laughs> Do you realize that the, that the devil was in charge of, of music in heaven? And then you, as a believer, you're willingly listening to something that's grieving the spirit of God inside of you and actively building the spirit of the flesh inside of you. And then you want to have counseling meetings on why your life is falling apart. Because our lives as Christians have gotten so cultured by America and by the world that we don't even know what it means to live a holy life anymore. We've so adopted everything of this life and we've justified a way into it so that we can participate in things that Jesus would never touch. I love this, that, that story of that, that book, that, you know, whether it's true or not, I, I love the story of the kid that went to heaven. Remember that little boy? I forget what it was called. Heaven's real? Heaven's for real? Is that what it is? Yeah. So, so he's up there and he sees these angels. And he's, he's, I mean, this kid's like, I don't know, five or six years old giving like eyewitness accounts, like stuff that's in the Bible that he's never read before. He has this encounter. And he comes back and starts telling his parents and they're like, oh my God, what do we do with this? And so he's up there, right? And then he, he remembers hearing like the angels sing how beautiful their voices were. And he puts a song request in, right? And he's like, hey, can you guys do We Will, We Will Rock You? And the little guy even said, no. Why? Because they reserve their tongue, the one that's supposed to be on us, for the praise and the glory of God. <laughs> oh, we're, oh, it's okay, brother. You're just being legalistic. No, I'm just trying to get in greater love. See, the entire ascension life depends upon the Holy Spirit, the ability to rise in any circumstance of trial or trouble or difficulty or, or whatever it might be. And your ability to rise over that situation that you're in comes by the Holy Spirit. You ever had God meet you at an altar? That was Holy Spirit meeting you at an altar. Your ability to connect with him and, and reestablish your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your self-control, your goodness to other people, to yourself, comes by the Spirit. And how many church services do we see that, that he's not even allowed to move? And we call that church. That is not church. 
That is just simply a TED talk with music. You don't need someone to tell you that you're okay. You need the Holy Spirit moving in your heart so powerfully that you don't need counsel anymore because he is the counselor. That he speaks life inside of you and you have hope and peace. And you're so focused on him that though you have problems, you love him so much, you will not disrespect him by bringing those problems to the front. And if you do, you only lay them on the altar and you say, burn them up, God, and I'm walking away from it. See, a life that grieves the Spirit can still be used by the Spirit, and that's what makes us deceived. A life that grieves the Spirit can still be used by the Spirit. See, Paul, or Saul, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, grieved the Holy Spirit of God, but yet the Holy Spirit still used him. Pastors can get up here and preach completely full of all kinds of immorality and sin, and God will use them. I've known guys who operated so accurately in the prophetic that they could tell you what shirt you wore last week and were full-blown homosexuals in hidden sin. And everybody's just like, oh, give me a word, brother, give me a word. Those people that do that and run to those types of things will be the same people that bow the knee to the Antichrist. Because they elevate the miracle over the master. Do you realize you're not going to need healing and power and signs and wonders and miracles in heaven? So if you're not going to need it there, don't elevate it here. Use it, but don't elevate it. I'm not, I'm not downplaying the importance of it. Heal people. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. But that doesn't mean you're walking by the Spirit. These disciples did that before they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Weren't they? <laughs> Even the demons are subject to us in your name. He's like, you need, to, you need to start rejoicing about something else. That your names are written in heaven. That you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You get so in one with the Spirit of truth that when he drives you to a wilderness... You are not afraid. Because you know what it's going to cost you when he says, I want you to do this. And you immediately buck up and stand on the line and say, yes, sir, let's go. It's going to cost you. That's fine. You're worth it. Many times I've been hurt as a pastor and then God asks me, I want you to do it again. I want you to do it again for this one. But what if they hurt me again? They might but I thought you were doing this for me. Ephesians 2, 6, we've already been there. God raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. Why? Because it's the ascended spirit that gives us the ability to rise. The Holy Spirit is the one that carries your prayers from point A to point B. And if we don't treat each other properly and we grieve him and we quench his power, we wonder why we don't have access. So how saved, how, how saved or how powerful of a feeling is your salvation to you right after you get done screaming and hollering at your husband or wife? How powerful is that individual relationship then with Jesus? Hmm? You feel pretty good about yourself after that moment? You don't. Why? Because you've grieved the Spirit of God and your personal relationship with Jesus is connected to your horizontal relationship to your brother and sister. Yeah. See, so many times Christians use their being right to grieve the Spirit of God because they're saying something that's true, but they're not operating the Spirit of truth. Am I making sense? Okay. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, this verse is like, I don't know why people don't preach on this. This is, this is Paul talking to believers. If you live after the flesh, you will die. 
guys, God, that's not my opinion. That's the word of God. I didn't write that. I'm sorry. But if you, through the Spirit, do kill the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 14. To live in the flesh is to grieve the Spirit. So many times you're trying to fight against your sin without the power upon you. Because you've given your mind over to a lust or a desire or to a doubt or to, to an unbelief, to a criticism, to an anger. And you've let that build inside of you to the point where you have no access to the life of God inside of you anymore. And you wonder why you're messed up. You may have been there. The relationship you, you have with your mind is directly correlated to the relationship of the ability you have with the spirit of truth. Why do you think the Bible is very, very, very clear so many times? Guard your thoughts. Think on these things. Renew your mind. Strongholds, principalities, powers, cast them down. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Oh, so, many, so many verses. I don't have time for the rabbit trail, but I was talking to somebody the other day about how much culture has changed Christianity. So much more than the Bible ever has. Like the stuff, the stuff that comes out of people's mouths today, I just, I shake my head and go, oh my gosh. Without sounding mean, it's like you just exposed how much of an idiot you are. Like you, you just told me you don't read your Bible. That's what you just told me. But you're so confident in this one little verse that you throw out. I'm like, oh yeah. Did you read the one before and after it? Did you read the rest of the Bible? I won't do it to you, but I, I, I've done it in churches that I visit before, and I say, how many of you guys have read the Bible cover to cover at least once in your life? And you know how many hands that go up? Hardly any. Hardly any in church. In church. And I say, what if the part that God's going to judge you by is the part you never read? What if the part that you're praying for or the answers that you're asking God to answer in your life are the parts that you never read? And then you get there and you shake your fist at him and say, you never answered my prayer. And he's going to say, you never read my book. Ephesians 1.13, we've already been there. Again, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment to our inheritance until the redemption of the person's possession unto the praise of his glory. The Bible says here that the Holy Spirit is your down payment to the inheritance that God has planned for your life. I don't understand that. I mean, I get what it's saying, but I don't. I can't. Do you realize how? Pow, how many of you? How many of you really been touched by the Holy Spirit in your life? I mean, really been touched by the Holy Spirit. In that moment, did you think there's anything better? And He says, "This is the down payment." I don't understand that, because that's good enough for me. Like. I'm good with that. Like, you let me be in that for forever, I'm I'm happy man. Just leave me alone. <laughs> you know, I'm good. But that's, the, that's just a, that's a down payment. And you know, how much when you go take a loan out on a house does the banks normally require? 15, 20%. What if that's only 20% of what God has planned for us, and yet we're grieving the very down payment to the inheritance we're going to receive. In other words, if we're not taking care of the down payment, what makes him trust us with the whole, with the whole lump sum? If we don't learn to live by the Spirit, Christians are going to have a hard time readjusting to heaven. Many Christians will be very uncomfortable in heaven because it doesn't revolve around them anymore. Their theologies and opinions, all of a sudden, nobody wants to hear them. What they don't realize is nobody wanted to hear them when they were on earth either. Everybody's just focused on one place with that emerald rainbow and the Father with lightning and thunder and peals and angels falling prostrate and earthquakes shattering and seas quaking at the glory of God and mankind falling on their faces singing a new song unto the Lamb. <laughs> I mean, nobody cares about what you're doing. 
<laughs> you won't be conscious of me, and I certainly won't be conscious of you. We will be conscious of the king. The same mentality we should have right now. I don't have time. I'll pick this up next week. I want you to read, if you can, Isaiah 11. Okay? Because we're going to dissect that next week. The power of the spirit that rested on Christ. It gives seven attributes of what rested upon Christ, what the Revelation calls the seven spirits of God. All of those seven spirits can be labeled as one, the Holy Spirit, who operates in seven different ways, but also has those fruits in Galatians 5. If you want love in your life, that's a fruit of the Spirit. You want joy in your life, that's a fruit of the Spirit. You want peace in your life, that's a fruit of the Spirit. You want patience? Oh, I need more patience. No, you need more love and you need more spirit. You need to stop grieving the spirit of God in your life and you'll naturally have patience. See, most people, most Christians have this nice little tree they're growing in their, in their life called their salvation. And they're using the pruning shears of sin to cut off all their fruit before it even develops. And they're wondering why they're starving to death. And they can't feed anybody else. See, the spirit upon you will make the word that's inside you attractive to those who have never committed their lives to Christ. But without the Spirit upon you, the word inside you means nothing to them. Remember the guys that came to arrest Jesus? It's not what he said. It's who he was. No one has ever spoken like this before. Do you realize that that was an untrue but yet true statement? People think that Jesus had the corner market on new teaching. Do you realize that you can go back into Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and find the same teachings that Jesus taught? Same teachings. Same teachings. Like it was a new teaching that Jesus... No, it wasn't the teaching, it was the teacher. It was the spirit of truth behind the words. Something that Socrates and Aristotle and Plato could not fabricate. Something came out of that man, gripped those men's hearts and says, we can't arrest this guy. Nobody's ever spoken like this. It wasn't what he said. It was the spirit that carried upon him. I am absolutely 1,000% positive this church specifically has a lot of work to do in your personal life on not doing Ephesians 4.30. Are you going to be perfect at it tomorrow just because you set yourself in and pull yourself up by your bootstraps? No. No. But you can begin the journey and begin to understand and recognize when you are so that you can start trimming off those things in your life by obedience unto the Lord. See, obedience is not a work. It's a response to a touch. Does this make sense to you? And when God touches you, you can obey yourself into a deeper relationship with him. When you obey him, it's amazing what happens. Things just open to you. So in connection with grieving the Holy Spirit, causing so many problems in people's lives, the other thing that most Christians do is they don't obey Jesus. And those two things make them feel so separate from God, which the spirit of religion preys upon. When those two things happen in your life, you begin to think God is way out there and you're way down here and you use your religious hands to waving and jumping up and down trying to get his attention when he's actually inside of you and you grieved him. When you, when you grieve the Holy Spirit and you don't obey the scriptures of Jesus Christ, you're prime candidate for a religious spirit. You with me? Let's stand. Father, we ask for forgiveness from all of us, myself included. I lift my hand to you and I say, Father, any area of my life where I've grieved your spirit, where I've not done what you asked me to do, or I've intentionally did the opposite, I ask you to forgive me. And God, I pray that great grace would be granted to this body that you would release the spirit of repentance, which is the Holy Spirit, because you said that the spirit of God 
convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So we're asking right now, the Holy Spirit, you do your job in our hearts. We know that you condemn nobody, but we also know that you play, you don't play games. This is a very serious thing that you have been given to us from the Father on high. And we ask, Father, there be any place in our life that you would just bring it back up and give us the courage and the strength to begin to step out in obedience and trim off the things in our hearts and in our life that do not please you. We thank you that your voice is real and it's powerful. We pray, Father, for our ears to be open that we would hear it again. We pray right now for those who have, have um, disregarded your voice for so long that they can no longer hear you. I pray that you would punch through their deafness and speak to them once again. And no matter how small it may seem that the thing that you're asking them to do, that the, the devil's immediately going to say, that's absolutely stupid, that's nothing, that means nothing, there's, there's, that's, that's, that's legality, that's legalism, you don't have to do that, that immediately they would step forward in faith and say, yes, Father, I will obey you. Give them the strength and the courage to do so. Help them. Let them lean upon community when they have difficulties Holy Spirit, forgive them for having ought against their brother and bring in a unity to their homes and families that they might war a war that is pleasing to you. That no man who's called to fight entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he might please the one who's called him. So let us please you, Father, by removing the entanglement that Hebrews 12 says, laying aside every weight which which indicates we have the right to let it go. Lay aside every weight so that we might run. And we know we're running toward you because you are our prize. You are our great reward. We honor you, Father. We thank you. We need you. Please help us. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.